Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. Prior to Prohibition, Statesville, North Carolina was known as the liquor capital of the world in the late 1800s. However, today, the Southern Distilling Company remains the only distillery in Statesville since Prohibition ended, and it turns out that it is one of the Southeast's largest craft distillers, producing bourbon, rye whiskey, and brandies with grain sourced from local farmers. The company has also joined many organizations that are extending a helping hand to combat the pandemic. In March of 2020, the Southern Distilling Company decided to use its existing equipment and processes to produce hand sanitizer to help limit the spread of COVID-19. Today, we're clocking in to talk with the co-owner of the Southern Distilling Company, Vianna Barger. Prior to founding the company in 2013 with her husband, Pete Barger, Vianna has over 20 years of experience working in the healthcare field. Vianna has a bachelor's in child development and family studies from Humboldt State University and a master's in social work and maternal child health from the University of North Carolina. Vianna, thank you for joining the program. How are you today? I'm great. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great. You know, as we read your background, it's easy to see that obviously there's been quite a journey to move from social work to being a maker of spirits. Can you talk about how you got to forming Southern Distilling Company by way of the healthcare industry? (laughs) Absolutely, yes, not a direct route. It was a a career transition for sure, um, but one that I've I've embraced. Uh, Surprisingly, there actually were a number of uh, experiences and strengths that I brought to this business that came from really working in a government sector, nonprofit sector, and in collaborative programs, essentially. So we got our start really by wanting to establish a family business. Distilling ended up being where we landed, but we looked at lots of different opportunities in a wide variety of industries before settling in on opening a craft distillery. And it really is a nice blend between my husband's experience and skill set in construction industry, industrial construction, executive sales roles, and my background working in that, you know, highly regulated government administrative sector, which helped us really to put everything together. Were you already in Statesville? We actually live in Mooresville, unlike Norman. So we were looking for a site for the distillery really ranging the full length of Iredell County and all the way through Mecklenburg as well. Statesville ended up being really the perfect location, largely because we found this wonderful property where we're located now, right on Interstate 77 near the I-40 interchange. And because it's an agricultural community, always has been and still is today. So when we're looking at wanting to have local grain grown here and have farmers to partner with that can accept our our waste product, our spent stillage when we're finished distilling, this is a perfect place for us to be. 
also a great location for tourism, being right near these big interstates and lots of people driving by. We love having folks in to visit the distillery when we're not under lockdown from the pandemic. It gives us access as well to transportation routes to be able to bring goods in and out. Yeah, I guess it's another journey for a distilled product like bourbon or whiskey to get into a bottle and on a shelf for purchase. Can you talk a bit about how that happens since this is a manufacturing show? Absolutely. So we've got our, our fantastic partners with our growers in the area and everything starts with grain. When we begin our tours, our behind the scene tours here at the plant, we always start with our grain silos out behind the building. Um, that's where everything begins. So we want to start with really high quality, well-grown, high starch, corn, wheat, rye, and malted barley to put into our whiskeys. From that point, everything moves through our, our cook and then our fermentation and then distillation processes. From really start to finish, from the, the moment that first kernel of corn hits our cooker until we've got a finished whiskey that's ready to go in a barrel, it's about a four-day process, three days of fermentation and then distillation on day four. And at that point, we've got a, a clear finished whiskey coming off the still at still strength, usually around 135 proof. We add water to it and get it to our barrel proof. Here at the distillery for our Southern Distilling Company whiskeys, we put uh, our whiskeys in the barrel at 105 proof. And then it goes into our warehouse to age. All that distillate comes off the still perfectly clear and it's not until it hits the charred oak barrel that it starts to acquire color. And just over half of the flavor as well comes from that barrel aging process. Most bourbon and rye whiskeys are gonna spend a minimum of two years in the barrel. Uh, we have bourbons here that you know we're good at two years, but we're gonna be holding them until they're four years of age before we start to bottle. And we'll be pulling out a selection to hold for seven years and for 10 years for some extra aged um, premium product. So I guess, you know, when you, you started up a little later than 2013, right? And, and I guess since there's aging involved, I guess there was some tricky maneuvering to do to, to have product. Can you talk about how you, how you get yes, going with a startup? Yep. We founded the company, as you mentioned, in 2013. We bought our property in 2014 and began the process of architectural design. It was an empty shell building when we purchased it, dirt floor on the inside, no utilities. So we needed really to, to build everything. We had a, a pond, in fact, in the back instead of a loading dock. So we had a lot of, of site work and an interior outfit to complete. That said, knowing that bourbon has to spend some time in a barrel before it's really what people expect to see as bourbon. We wanted to make sure that we didn't open a bourbon distillery and then have to tell everybody, you know, come back in three, four, five years to taste what we're making. So the other thing we did early on was to purchase some already aged bourbon. Uh, we were very fortunate to find two great lots of bourbon and a, a great lot of rye whiskey as well that we brought in and began aging here in Statesville long before we opened our doors. And when we purchased that product, it was already four years and 10 years old. So it got to age a little bit further before we were ready to open um, our facility in 2017 and to start putting bourbon in bottles. So our initial product, our initial aged whiskey products were distilled elsewhere, aged in Statesville. And then we did batching and blending here uh, at our plant, which is a whole nother process. So again, the pandemic hit back in the spring and uh, you actually made a decision to start making hand sanitizer. You know, what is the synergy with that product with distilling? I mean, that makes it, I guess, fairly easy to switch. There, there was 
two critical things that happened. So most of the alcohol that goes into hand sanitizer is one of two types. It's either isopropyl alcohol or ethyl alcohol. Ethyl alcohol is what we make here. Normally, as you know, it's destined for beverages and going into barrels for whiskeys, but you can also take that ethyl alcohol and produce hand sanitizer with it. Um, that's one of the main ingredients. What happened was both the FDA and then our regulatory agency, the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, known as the TTB, early on in March, uh, adjusted the regulations and opened the door for all of the distilleries across the country to be able to take that ethyl alcohol, put it through a denaturing process so that it wasn't something people could drink any longer, and then make it into hand sanitizer without having to go through the normal regulatory burdens of the FDA in order to have it approved to take to market. They produced a, a very strict set of guidelines. So we had a recipe right there to go by of what we were making. Um, we followed the World Health Organization formula that was approved for the entire globe to produce. We did it. Um, we went through a <laughs> about two weeks of no sleep and very rapid upfit and making modifications to our processes and our equipment, as well as really uh, going out into our community and finding folks who had been laid off from the service industry that had all started closing down from needing to shut down our bars and restaurants and businesses here to find folks that would come in and help us really manufacture and put that hand sanitizer in a bottle and get it out on trucks to, to get out into the, the world over here. So does that get segmented out to a group of equipment that you just dedicate for that or can you switch back and forth? Ultimately, we can switch back and forth. So we used our same bottling equipment. We used our same tanks. There was, as we moved into looking at manufacturing gel hand sanitizer rather than a sprayable liquid, a need to add additional mixing tanks, essentially, that were dedicated to manufacturing the gel hand sanitizer. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's, again, still quite a commitment to decide to, to make hand sanitizer. It's not kind of a simple thing. It was a huge commitment, and, and we were very fortunate um, through our partnership with the North Carolina Department of Agriculture as well. There were a lot of buyers out there, particularly in the grocery store sector, that were really under, under orders to put hand sanitizer out in the stores in order to be able to continue to stay open. So they were linking the dots really for us and connecting us with, as, as I mentioned earlier, the, the Harris Teeters, Food Lions, um, Whole Foods, and different places that really needed access to product that they couldn't find. You know, as, as soon as the pandemic began, all of the traditional hand sanitizer was really dedicated and allocated to our healthcare industry, which most critically needed it. And nobody else could get it because there wasn't any more. When we started to manufacture, uh, my husband and I had a conversation, you know, where he was saying, I think we need to make hand sanitizer. And I was saying he was crazy. <laughs> why, why would we possibly need to do that? Certainly the hand, sanitizer man hand sanitizer manufacturers can step up and meet that need, but they really couldn't. There's so much of our, our manufacturing in the country that is just in time manufacturing. It's very difficult, particularly with that product for folks to scale up, just like we saw with, you know, simple things like toilet paper and paper towels. Wow. So I'm learning something. I guess if I look at my bottle of hand sanitizer here and see that there's ethyl alcohol in it, they, it may have come from a distillery or something. Absolutely. Certainly may have. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So just switching a little bit to more of a marketing thing. I know that you're starting up and that there's a lot of activity involved in trying to get your products to market and sold. But you now I'm learning that even though prohibition has ended, there's still quite a few legislative obstacles in place throughout the country concerning production and distribution of liquors. 
Can you talk about some of that stuff and how you have to navigate through it? Sure. Yeah, it, it is interesting how much of a holdover we still have in both individual states and across the country from our, our prohibition and how it has impacted laws and now impacts our ability to, to really conduct business. But the spirits industry overall has a, a three-tier system. So we have suppliers, which is us, then we have distributors in that central, central tier, and then you have the retailers that are actually the folks consumers are purchasing from. And each of us is, is regulated and licensed accordingly, um, both by the federal government and then by our states, have to follow certain rules. Um, in a state like North Carolina, we operate a control state system. So you have even an additional layer of government oversight from the state level through our Alcohol Beverage Control Commission here in North Carolina and restrictions on uh, and rules on the operation of our retail stores and how they operate has benefits to us as a small supplier in, in the grand scheme of things in that it, it levels the playing field a bit for us in North Carolina. So we're able to really compete with the large suppliers, the big producers the, of, you know, Jim Beam and Sazerac and the, the companies that everybody's been buying for, for a long time. Our North Carolina Alcohol Beverage Control Commission sets level pricing for everyone. So all of the stores have the same price on product and really eliminates I think some of the more tricky parts of the business in other states where you have to put more money into marketing and incentives and promotional items to, to combat that sense of exclusivity or higher pricing, lower pricing when you have greater freedom in the, in the marketplace at the retail level. So I guess the term like craft industry, is it similar to wine and beer i mean the, i mean i guess there's craft distillers that would you fall into that category i know you had mentioned about wanting to have your company scalable and and, and wanted to be maybe a little bit larger i mean you know is that a thing you know craft distilling and this do smaller people have a go of it like they do with beers and things we, we are considered a craft distillery and it is it is interesting because you you really have a pretty large divide we have huge industrial producers that make millions of cases of product and then we have craft distilleries of which we are one of the largest in the country but we're still considered well below the size of those large industrial producers our current capacity here well, gets us to producing roughly 15,000 barrels, and that's a 53 liquid gallon barrel of whiskey on an annual basis, which is really a drop in the bucket to those large industrial distilleries that can produce you know, significantly greater volumes. Additionally, we really have those, those elements that folks expect, whether you're a very small you know, mom and pop distillery or one of our more industrial production scale, we are working with local farmers, we consider ourselves a grain to glass distillery where we're bringing things really right in. We have all of the art and science behind it right here under our roof and really have that, that local provenance that really makes things more falling into that craft category where people really want to understand where things are coming from, how they're made and who's making them. So does your company support some of the smaller craft people in some way or how do, how do people that are smaller than you get everything. We're, we're very fortunate in our position and with our business model and our scale that we have the opportunity to offer the services that we provide here to other distilleries and other spirits brand owners. And it is really a part of the 
business that, that we knew we wanted to do, but I didn't know upfront how fun it was going to be to really be partnering with other brands and other distilleries to help them get their start and to help them achieve their dreams. So that, that energy that comes in from those other partner, again, distilleries and brand owners really buoys and drives our team here to help be a part of what they're doing. And those services range all the way from, you know, what, what we do simply is putting whiskey in barrels and aging it for other distilleries. We make products specific to them. So it's custom mash bills that they define and they may supply custom barrels that are specific to them. So we really offer their product made their way, but made here at our plant when they may not have that capacity within their own facility. And then on the brand side, we produce products all the way into bottle and finished case goods to send out to distributors. And those range widely. Flavored vodka products, cream liqueurs. We have a fun blueberry cream liqueur we've been doing for another distillery recently. And, and traditional whiskeys. We also have the opportunity, you know, we've only been manufacturing since 2017. So the oldest whiskey in-house is getting ready to turn four. But we can go out into the wholesale market and find Tennessee whiskey for folks, bring in, you know, a, a Irish style single malt whiskey and be able to broaden what's available for folks to put in the bottle that they may not have been able to, to manufacture in their craft distillery. Yeah, so it's quite refreshing to hear you talk about fun as you speak about your business. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I guess that's uh, what we all are hoping for whenever we go to work. So you're founded in 2013, you're less than 10 years old, and you're already one of the larger distilleries in the nation. What do you attribute to that success so far? Well, we took a lot of time on the front end to do very careful planning and due diligence. And really, um, when we first determined that we were going to open a craft distillery, thought we would enter at a much smaller scale. And as we learned about the industry, uh, talked with distributors, engaged consultants and advisors, um, spent a lot of time in Kentucky asking questions at all the other uh, distilleries, well-known distilleries there and smaller craft distilleries. We determined that we needed to build something bigger to really be able to scale and have the success that we, we saw as our, our vision for the future. Um, so we slowed down, we didn't get open in a year, it took us three years from when we initially started planning till we opened our doors. But what that meant was instead of a 2,000 square foot facility, we were in a 25,000 square foot facility and that we planned for our initial scale, which was, you know, best way to look at it is four fermentation tanks to our current scale, which we just expanded over the course of last year to now having 10 fermentation tanks in operation and really moving us from a single shift of production to 24-7, three shift manufacturing for spirits. So it was, it was designed with that growth in mind and careful planning on the front end. So we set the intention and set the goals at the beginning. Well, it seems like you're still growing. How many people do you have there now? We have about 30 full-time and part-time employees today. And we, when we're looking for more, <laughs> more excited, passionate, good folks that are interested in becoming a part of what we're doing and, and what we're growing here in Statesville, it's, a, it's an interesting time both in the, the job market and in the context of the, the economics in the, in the pandemic era that we're in right now. But we've been fortunate to have some really great folks join our team, particularly over the last two years. And we are, are really looking for some more, both on the manufacturing side of the house and then on the sales and marketing and administrative side of everything that we do. So are you unlimited in your plans for growth? Do you think you'd expand outside of Iredale County? 
We've got still some growing room here, so we're very happy with where we're located. While we have expanded our, our fermentation distillation process now, we still have another basically 10,000 square feet in our current building that is currently used for barrel aging that is destined to be another fermentation distillation area. So we can, we can continue to expand our manufacturing right here where we are today. The piece that's a challenge and that will require some, some additional land addition uh, for us is that all of that whiskey needs to go in barrels and those barrels have to be aged for quite some time. So barrel warehousing and barrel storage requires land and facilities for them to just sit there and, you know, take a long nap until they're ready to, to put into a bottle. I guess so and become themselves. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that will be a really our, our next piece of growth in addition to just expanding our team and our manufacturing capacities here is really real estate additions and additional barrel aging facilities. And Iredell County with our agricultural property here is a perfect place for that. Well, Vienna, you talked about pouring the liquor that you make into barrels and storing them. So I would guess that acquiring and retaining and working through how to use barrels is something that's pretty complex, no? Yeah, we do not build our own barrels. When we were planning the distillery, there actually was a national barrel shortage. Um, it, it happened from a combination of factors, both weather and the economy just a, a general slowdown that pulled all of those, you know, lumberjacks essentially out of the woods and into other jobs. We looked for a short while at building a cooperage rather than building a distillery. Uh, the capital requirements were going to be about double what we put into this plant, knowing that there was probably more learning for us to do on that side than on this side, <laughs> even though there was a lot on this one too. Um, we decided not to go that direction. Independent Stave Cooperage has two plants in Lebanon, Kentucky and Lebanon, Missouri. They are the, the largest you know, international barrel manufacturer by far. When we first got started, they wouldn't give us the time of day because we only were interested in probably buying 100 barrels at a time. And most of the folks they sell to buy, you know, thousands of barrels on annual contracts. Um, they've since changed. They have a lot more customers in the craft industry now and are a great supplier for us. We also have a, a new cooperage that opened up in West Virginia. It's called the Great West Virginia Barrel Company. Amazing state-of-the-art plant. If you guys are, are you know, want to geek out on manufacturing and robotics technology, it, it is incredible. Pete and I went up and did a tour. They're doing amazing things there in the, you know, kind of the middle of nowhere, West Virginia. But that is currently where we buy most of our barrels. Very, very well made and a great partner. Fantastic customer service. So, we probably have barrels in our plant from about a dozen different cooperages. And we, we like to say to our clients, you know, the, the only requirement is that they don't leak. So if you want to supply a barrel or you want us to buy from a certain, you know, cooperage, as long as it'll hold whiskey, we'll put your whiskey in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I mean, those are reusable, right? For a spirit of time or is it just a... They, they certainly are reusable, but they're not reusable for bourbon and rye whiskey because it has to go into a brand new charred oak barrel to be called bourbon whiskey or rye whiskey. Oh. So there's some weird requirements uh, from TTB about that. And it can be called a bourbon whiskey the second it hits that barrel. So even if you just pour it in and pour it out, you can call it bourbon. But if it never went in a barrel, you can't call it bourbon whiskey. <laughs> call it a whiskey Unbelievable. Mash. has a different name 
Oh boy. But there is a, 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 you know, definitely a significant demand for used barrels. We still have most of our whiskey aging. So when we have barrels, it's usually just a handful at a time. And our craft breweries in the area love to get their hands on those to do a bourbon barrel finish on their beers. Um, but beyond that, when we get to where we have hundreds of used barrels available that have held bourbon for, you know, as the only product, they are destined to become barrels that rum would go into or that scotch or Irish whiskey would go into. So they're typically sent out of the country to folks that want to do aging in what they call an ex-bourbon barrel. Wow. So the use of barrels is a pretty complex thing in, in this uh, program. Yeah. And we take at this point too our ex-bourbon barrels and put that rye whiskey in it since it's finished in our bourbon barrels here. Right. Well, I know Ardell County is happy to have you there and Statesville as well. And we really appreciate you spending a little bit of time talking to us about this exciting business you have. And I look forward to a day that maybe we can come visit. I, yeah, we, I think I think you do. You open your doors for the public, right? We, we are not open for our tasting room and all of our beverage service currently and our behind the scenes tours, but we are really looking forward to being able to reopen later this year and bring people back in. It's, it's another very fun part of the process to be able to show folks how whiskey's made. Unless you've had the opportunity to, to take a trip over to Kentucky, folks haven't seen this kind of scale of bourbon manufacturing. So it's, it's really great to give folks that access right here in North Carolina. Mention a couple of your brands that we would know know you by whenever we would go to a store. So our bourbon brand is Southern Star. We have straight bourbon whiskeys that run under that Southern Star product line. We also have a rye whiskey that just launched in 2020 under the Southern Star brand. It's called Double Rye. Uh, it is a unique blend of two different rye whiskeys blended together. And then finished in a bourbon barrel. So it's got an additional little touch of that, that bourbon character in a rye whiskey, which makes it a little sweeter than a traditional rye whiskey would be. And then we also have our fan favorite, which is our Southern Star Double Shot. It is a bourbon cream liqueur. Uh, we call it grown-up chocolate milk, and people love it. So that has us at this point in distribution in about 10 states on the east, eastern area and North Carolina, of course, and looking at national distribution of that product over the next couple of years. So. Well, great. Southern Star is the is the brand for Southern Distilling in uh, Statesville, North Carolina. And we've been speaking to Vienna Barger, who is the co-owner of the Southern Distilling Company. And we really appreciate you joining us today. And we hope that we can get to see you very soon. Thanks, Phil. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In, Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clocking in.